Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm a saucy 29-year-old who left the corporate world to go on to build a seven-figure online business. But most days, I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm obsessed with the process of us getting to figure it out together. We've got epic guests, incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Hey girl, I'm so excited that you're here today because on the show, we have Dave Hollis. Yes, Dave Hollis. If you don't know Dave, he is the husband to Rachel Hollis, who wrote this book. Uh, It sold 1.7 million copies in the last seven months and currently the number one New York Times bestselling book called Girl, Wash Your Face. And beyond being an incredibly devoted husband, he's also the father to four, three boys and a little girl. His backstory is really impressive too. He actually had a 17-year run at Disney and left his role as the president of theatrical distribution for Walt Disney Studios to become the CEO of the Hollis Company. And the Hollis Company, it's pretty amazing. They've got podcasts and couples conferences and tools to arm people with things that they need to make positive and long-lasting changes to live lives that they love, which is something I can totally get behind. And what's really cool is Dave gives a guy's perspective of why it's so important for women to feel empowered to take action in their lives to show up in an authentic way. This conversation is honest and real and full of so many tangible things that we can actually implement. And you're going to laugh your butt off because this guy is funny. So, Let's jump right in and do this, girl. Hello, and everybody. Welcome to the Empower Her podcast. I am pumped about today's guest. Can we welcome Dave Hollis? I am so excited to have you here. Thank you, Dave. Oh, thank you for having me, Keisha. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So the audience has heard a little bit more of your high-level kind of overview Um, of your accolades and some of the things that you've accomplished in your career that are so impressive. And I just wanted to first, before we dive in, to kind of give you more backstory, say thank you. I appreciate you being here. I know that you're going to add so much value. You, this is going to sound weird, but I kind of feel like you're like my big brother that I creep on that I'm like, yeah, Dave, whenever you drop one-liners on your live stream or on your podcast. So I just really, really appreciate you. Oh, uh, you're so sweet. And I am super, super happy to be here. I hear a rumor that there may never have been a man on this podcast before. Is this true? This is true. You are the first one. So you need to bring wow. the fire. I spend so much time with Rachel now that we work together that I'm getting closer and closer to being a woman, it feels like at times. So <laughs> I'm glad that you're easing the audience into uh, what kind of man you might bring into this podcast. <laughs> you're incredible. Thank you so much. So let's dive right in. Give us kind of your backstory. Um, you know, For those that don't know you yet, yes, you are the husband to Rachel Hollis and her amazing book right now that is on the New York Times number one spot bestseller, Girl, Wash Your Face. But before that, you've had a crazy impactful career. So can you walk us through what you did at Disney, some of your roles there, and then kind of the transition out to now be the CEO of the Hollis Company? 
Uh, yes, I will. Well, I'll start with being Rachel's husband because that is the number one and most important thing in my life. She is my partner in crime and best friend. And we, uh, as you say, now work together in running the Hollis Company, which is exciting. I'm a father of four kids, which, as we've said thousands of times, is like thousands of kids. Uh, we have three boys and a little girl. We have previously been foster parents to four people as well. So uh, we are uh, now a family of six, at one time a family of seven, um, but uh, are done with humans. We have a dog and a fish, and we live in Texas. Uh, I have been working with my wife now at the Hollis Company for about six months, and it's been the best. Um, before that, I spent about 25 years worth of time working in a variety of different roles in Hollywood. The last 17 years of the Hollywood time was spent at the Walt Disney Company, where I had uh, an experience in the first 10 years of having 10 different jobs in those first 10 years, most of them in packaged media, uh, the home video space, and then uh, in the last seven years in the theatrical world, where I was uh, first working in strategy and then was given an opportunity to oversee our international business. And then for the last six years, ran our global distribution business, the person who was selling movies to movie theaters on behalf of the Walt Disney Company, uh, which family of brands included Disney, Disney Animation, Marvel, Pixar, and Lucasfilm. So really, really big brands that everybody knows and really big movies that every movie theater that you might be selling them to needed um, every single time. Love it. I can so, go on and on forever, but I think I have to pause every once in a while for you to actually ask me a question. <laughs> so in your role at Disney, you were also really an advocate for women. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the boards that you were on and kind of what your role encompassed there? Oh man, I, like, I have had uh, so many great mentors in my life and have had so many opportunities to be taught by people who had experiences that maybe gave me uh, you know, a better uh, sense of confidence or a, a little bit more permission to show up and be a like, kind of better version of myself in any uh, environment. That uh, I felt like after a certain point in my career that I really had to start kind of leaning in and giving back to any community that maybe didn't um, have as many mentors that could uh, help them in the same way that I'd been helped myself. So I... Man, I, I loved like the work I did for Disney in the nine to five, but I think I loved even more the opportunities to spend time with the different groups uh, on campus, as it were. And two of them that were uh, involving women, one was a, a group called Women at Disney, where they would on a regular basis meet uh, to come up with ways to inspire the women who are working inside of the company to uh, chase their big dreams and create kind of mentorship women to women so that um, if there was a woman at a l lower level that was hoping to learn a little bit from someone who'd made it further in their journey, um, that those connections could exist. I played a role as a not woman part of Women at Disney <laughs> to say, hey, uh, as a man who's working in an executive capacity, uh, I want to hear some of the things that you as women are experiencing so that uh, one, I can share any thoughts I might have on how to overcome obstacles that you perceive, but two, so that as a leader of a group inside of the company, I can be thoughtful of the things that you are thinking about and 
train my leaders so that we might change the culture in this one small part of the organization to be more inclusive and considerate of the things that women inside of the company need to grow, to feel included at tables, to feel welcome to, you know, having their hand in the air during a meeting or whatever it might be. Uh, another group that I was a part of was called the Working Women's Initiative. And this was very much a, how do we think differently about the organization of the future that is intentionally and deliberately putting more diverse voices around the table every single time. And in this case, it was very much about putting women's voices at the table to make sure that we were um, having conversations that were driving the business with people that were a reflection of who our consumers were. Yes. And so, you know, like as you get to the more senior ranks in um, every organization, not just as Disney, um, you tend to um, historically see that there are fewer women, that there are uh, fewer people of color, that there are fewer um, kind of almost anything other than white males. And so having an honest conversation about how you find and grow and support women who can be the future leaders of the organization so that they can become that. And so that as they become that, they can model for younger women in the organization or younger people of color people, or whatever it might be. Um, that like, if you can see it, you can be it was a, you know, big part of the, the why separate from wanting to just have representation around a table. So you're making a better, more informed decision for what you're bringing to market. So um, I love working in those roles. Um, I also happen to be <laughs> at the time, uh, the person inside of the Walt Disney Company that was known as the chief ally for our pride group. I was an executive sponsor of our black employee resource group. I don't happen to be a woman or a person who is gay or a person who is of color, but showing up in those spaces as an ally for any of those groups um, was awesome and something I hope that anyone who finds themselves with privilege um, chooses to do. Dave, just round of applause. Thank you so much for the way that you're showing up. I know you're not saying all of that for accolades, but just the way that you show up, I so deeply appreciate it. And it's funny because if you don't know, listeners, um, Dave and Rachel Hollis do a live stream every day and I listen to it when I'm working in the morning. And today their word of the day is appreciate. And I just said it. So I feel pretty awesome that I incorporated that in a sentence. Good work. Bonus bonus points for you. Here's the thing. (laughs) uh, we, We operate a business now that is truly on earth to put tools in the hands of people to help them make their lives better. And many of them, because my wife is the primary contributor creatively, um, are for women. And I've, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I just get so excited. Like I've just finished reading her next book, Girl Stop Apologizing. And it is the embodiment of like everything I as a man would hope that my daughter might know in a world that doesn't label ambition as being bad that doesn't suggest that she need permission or approval for anyone, from anyone, from society, from men, from, you know, in-laws, from whatever it might be. And I, I get excited about the content that's being created because it just goes to reinforce so many of the things that we were spending time on outside of this before I was part of the company. But man, I just believe so much in what Rachel's doing. So Yes. Thank you so much. And there needs to be voices like yours as a white male talking about this and sharing from a male's perspective. I just think it's so important to add to the conversation. So thank you again for that. Of course. So, so let's go back to um, 
transitioning outside of Disney, moving into the Hollis company and doing that as a CEO now and you guys working together full time. Can you talk to us a little bit about the transition, the fear that's involved with making a big move like that when you have a really respectable title and you've got this gut feeling that this is what you guys need to do um, for your family and for the future of the Hollis company. Can you walk us through the fear behind it and maybe even some little tangible you know, questions that you asked yourself or things that someone listening that's going through a transition or is feeling fear around making a decision could implement in their life? Yep. So I, I had this luxury in the first 10 years of being at the company of always having professional ADD satisfied on an almost every year basis. And when I got the opportunity to run sales for the studio, it was a job that was bigger than my resume suggested. I felt motivated and um, was interested in trying to prove anyone who was doubting me wrong. And the learning curve was a big part of what was as exciting as you could imagine it being at the beginning of a job that was, you know, as important as it was, as cool as it was, as kind of on the outside optics of it all, um, a thing that people would say, man, that's a great job. And so for those first two years, it was amazing because I was walking into rooms, the least informed person, the least experienced person. I had to do more work to be able to sit in those rooms and feel comfortable and confident. I had to lean more on my team, who I became okay recognizing that I did not have the experience that they did. And in like my trust of them and their appreciating that I was not, you know, going to try and steal their work or do something that would in some way suggest that I had a better sense of how to do the things that they've always done. We got along great. We conquered the world. It was really great. And then not long after I got the job, a Pixar acquisition had just gone through. Not long after that, the Marvel acquisition went through. Not long after that, the Lucas acquisition went through. And so in a world where sales is a thing that always is associated with leverage, I went from having to learn a business to getting some additional brands and some additional movies as a part of what I was ultimately selling to theaters. And as the learning curve of what the job was, was, you know, taking less time and less preparation, the challenge of making the sale was going down with every extra bit of content that was coming in. Marvel, if you're not familiar, it's, it's the Avengers. It's, you know, Black yeah. Panther. It's all of these great things. Lucas, if you're not familiar, it's Star Wars. So, like, going to AMC or Regal and negotiating with them, here's what um, I'd like for you to do for us for these movies was harder before we had Pixar, Lucas, and Marvel. Uh, it was less hard afterwards. And so, I became acutely aware of this... Um, biggest fear in my life coming true in real time, which was I was not having to use my full potential to do well at my job. And in the absence of being pushed to fully utilize my potential, I was not growing. And it took, uh, to be totally honest, getting into a rut that happened to coincide with my going from my 30s to my 40s. 40 is a very, very interesting year. I think particularly for men, but generally speaking, you start asking some bigger questions when you get to these milestone birthdays about what life's all about and why you're here. 
And just as I'm getting ready to go from having been, um, you know, in my 30s and feeling like I'm doing great in the optics of the outside, my business card, I'm the president of distribution, I make a lot of money, the not being challenged and not growing part of the equation was actually showing up for me in feeling very unfulfilled. And that unfulfillment had me at home pulling away. Uh, just kind of like pulling back from being as engaged and as involved as I know that I want to be as a husband, as I know I want to be as a father. So at the same time that all this is happening, this is a little bit of a like diversion, but we... No, it's helpful. Thank you. Right. I think, it, I think just like contextually, it's a little bit helpful. In 2016, we are three years into an adoption journey. Dave, you're talking about your job. Why'd you bring up adoption? It ties, I promise. We had started an international adoption. Didn't work out for a whole host of reasons in Ethiopia. We ended up going into foster care on accident. We wanted to adopt from the county of LA. They said, you have to foster first. And foster care for us was some really, really beautiful things and some really, really hard things. And it ended up creating in 2016, the most challenging year of our adult life. And in that, had us choose uncertainty over and over and over again. And I had been a person my whole life that had just had certainty as the most important commodity in my life. I was always looking to make sure I could keep the status quo in check, manage expectations most uh, often I was trying to manage my own expectations, but also those of my wife and my family. And the amount of growth that came for us as individuals, for Rachel and I in our marriage, for our kids in how they showed how resilient they could be through hard things, um, I came to appreciate how important uncertainty was for growth. Ooh, for the people in the back, as you would say. I mean, for the people in the back, I'll say it again. Um, (laughs) You know, I've said this many times. I'm sure I stole it somewhere. But, you know, your your comfort zone, like, that's not where growth happens. Growth happens outside of your comfort zone. And so, I'd been a person who was fortifying walls around my comfort zone for the entirety of my life. And here, we went into an experience that forced those walls down and the revelation that came in not actually being able to be in our comfort zone was it really truly made us grow. We we like we thought we had faith, but then we had our faith tested and that's when you really get to see how much faith you have. We thought we had a strong marriage, but when you're clutching each other in the bottom of a ravine, that's when you see how strong you can be. We thought our kids could handle things, but until we had twins that we were told we were adopted, taken from our house because of a system that's broken, we were able to see how resilient our kids could be in unexpected change and how good that was for them, even if it was hard. So we come through this experience. There is a happy ending. We ended up after our foster public experience decided to go into independent adoption. We, in 2017, finished an independent adoption with our now perfect daughter named Noah, although she's just approaching two. And I will tell you, (laughs) I post a lot of really great pictures of her, but she is a monster right now. That's okay. (laughs) Side note. Um, But she's so cute. (laughs) She's so cute. So you have to let her be one. But um, the, the, the reason for bringing that up is 
I come out of, what happened to my sound? Can you hear me still? Yep, you're good. Okay, all right. Um, I come out of this window of time where foster uncertainty has produced so much fruit that the return to my regularly scheduled programming in my job was a catalyst for really feeling the unfulfilledness of not fully needing to use potential in my, in my work life. Makes sense. And it ended up provoking some really hard conversations between Rachel and I that were coinciding again, like serendipity, I guess you could put it as, but I, I believe it's Providence. Like all of the timing came together perfectly because we were at a tipping point in her business where she knew this is about to go from where it is to where it's going to be. And I can't keep my focus on producing great things and run the business. I can't write more books. I can't write as many books. I can't do as many podcasts and worry about a balance sheet and worry about human resources, hiring. I can't think about, you know, all of the stuff. And so as I'm in the midst of my funk, the funk of, of you know, 16, <laughs> 17, um, she's just on fire. Yeah. And, and she's on fire in part because she's just finishing the writing of Girl, Wash Your Face. Mm-hmm. She's on fire because she's just had her first live event conference rise. She's on fire because she's just launched her podcast. She's on fire for all the right and good reasons. And I start asking questions about how I might be able to get a taste of what she's experiencing. Yeah. So we start really having a conversation in early 17, I mean, we'd been talking about working together for years, but in, se- in early 17, it was like, man, this feels like if there were ever a time, it's the time. It was about a year before Girl, Wash Your Face was going to come out. It Did, was just before. Just not to interrupt you, but yeah. just at that stage, right before it came out, you guys, you know, she's had other books prior to this and you anticipate like how did you feel about it before it launched? So you're talking about, you know, I'm kind of unfulfilled. You're kind of on a rocket ship in your career and in your growth and fulfillment. So you guys are talking about this proactively before there was actually a need for you to step in. Or can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, my, I'll just say my first reaction to reading the first draft of Grow, Wash Your Face was panic. Yeah. I, in There's my, a lot like, about you in it. Well, <laughs> and the thing is, it was even less about that. I was, I, I am like really interested in trying to protect her as much mm-hmm. as like I can, which is like, I guess partially my job, but I'm learning even more. Not so much. It's, you know, like not for me to protect necessarily, but there just this idea that vulnerability and being so open about so many things was where she'd gone in this book. Of course, that's the reason why it works. But it was the thing that frightened me because I had just been, I'm finishing a decade and a half of managing optics. When I was at Disney, one of my jobs every Sunday was as the spokesperson for the Walt Disney Company to the press about what was happening in our movie business. Whether a movie did well or did not do well, It was my job to convince the press to write good stories about how well the movies did. So I was always managing optics. And we live in this Facebook, Instagram world where everything's okay. Trust me, everything's okay all the time. And here my wife wants to tell these really hard stories, really honestly about real stuff. 
So my first reaction was, oh my goodness, what are you doing? This doesn't seem good. And yeah, I don't like the idea of sharing stories in chapter five of me being a jerk at the beginning of our relationship. I was uneasy about our sex life being part of a conversation in whatever chapter that is. But the real, the real headline was, I wasn't sure that being as vulnerable and as exposed and as honest was really the thing that she should do for wanting to protect her from, and now I realize, from what, right? From yeah. like the opinions of other people or the judgment of other people. We now work in and operate in a business that has as our primary commodity vulnerability, you know, right. which as a transition from having been just muscle memory in a space that was for so long about the preservation of optics, it's a wholesale change. And now every day we get up and we talk about super, super, you know, super honestly about things in our life, whether it's on a podcast or a live stream or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm myself trying to write my version of her girl, wash your face, dude, wash your face or whatever it ends up being called, which will be me really vulnerably talking about 20 lies that men have believed that kept them from being the best version of themselves. That is not a thing that I thought I would ever do. And here we are. Right. We're going to go do those things. But what was your original question? I've gone completely off <laughs> no, the rails. No, it's, it's so, it, hey, I love it. I love that it's more of a conversation. My original question was around kind of the fear around if someone is right now. So first of all, thank you for the backstory because it's so helpful. But also if someone's in a position right now where maybe they don't connect with all pieces of your story, but they're fearful of a transition, which moving from, hey, I'm a president of distribution at Disney. A lot of people know my name. I have this reputable career, even though I'm unfulfilled. I'm concerned with what people are going to think of me leaving. Well, that's not the story that you tell yourself now. Um, at the time, I, I'm guessing that that was a little bit more of the conversation in your head to move into, hi, now I'm going to you know, be on live stream and talk about really vulnerable things that I originally wanted to protect my wife from. Oh, yeah. Can you I mean, walk I had, us through how that felt? For sure. And, and I, the, the two fears, there were two big fears that probably one kept me from doing this earlier and two probably keep most people from doing uh, almost anything that's mm -hmm. different than what um, feels a little more traditional or safe or approved by your spouse, approved by your mother-in-law, approved by society, your girl, girlfriends or whatever it might be. My first fear was, what will people think of this decision that I am making that makes sense to me, but not to them? Yeah. Which I now realize is so ridiculous. And part of why it's ridiculous, I'm, like I said, six months removed from having worked at the company. Uh, I worried for a long time what people would think of me leaving. And here is the answer, and it is applicable to you. Nobody is thinking anything about me leaving. They never thought anything about me leaving they still are not thinking about what my decision meant because, and this isn't a slight to them, it is a universal truth for us all, we are all thinking about ourselves. Right. Period. So um, my first worry was, what will they think? And they, I mean, they didn't. If they had an initial reaction, they got over it very quickly because they immediately turned their, what is he doing to how does it affect me? Right? Mm -hmm. So that was one. Ooh, the, second, right, so the, sec the second worry was 
I am going to go into an area that I do not fully understand how to do all of the things. I'm coming from a place where I could be successful by the kind of ways that I am being measured metrics-wise for the rest of time. And I'm going to move into a place where I don't know a lot of the things that I am being asked to do. What if I'm exposed for not knowing all of the things? And here is the second thing that is a universal 100% truth. You will not know, as I do not know, all of the things in this new thing. And that turns out to be a massive blessing. Because in not knowing something, I am forced on an every single day basis with people who I've hired that are smarter than me in certain areas to ask questions and learn. And in the learning, I am growing. So I have moved myself from a place of certainty to uncertainty, a place that I knew most everything to a place where I don't know much, and in not knowing much, am growing. And the biggest, the biggest thing that I think I've learned over the course of this whole journey is this amazing, incredible connection between growth and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You are, I've said this plenty of times, you're either growing or dying. You, you cannot just maintain a status quo. You are literally either as a being growing or dying. Yeah. And you cannot grow if you are not being challenged with new things. And if you are not growing because of those challenges, you cannot be fulfilled. It is just not possible. Can you, can you be happy intermittently? Of course you can be happy intermittently. But can you be fulfilled? Like in your core, can you be fulfilled? If you're not growing, you cannot be. That's my, my feeling and it's being borne out in real time with how growth is showing up in this unconventional area that I now live inside of where every day I am learning something new and in that learning I'm growing into a newer version, better version of myself. Takes the fancy mic you've got right now and just drops it on the ground. Oh, <laughs> goodbye. I wouldn't drop this mic because I think we paid more than retail for it. But, uh, yes. No, so helpful and great context around all of that. So a question, a kind of a follow-up question on that is if someone feels that way, do you have any tips? Because obviously what you're saying, I believe to be truth as well. And is there anything that you think would be helpful for someone that feels like they need to grow or they're not fulfilled? How to actually make that leap? If they believe what you're saying, but they're like, yeah, Dave, that's great for you. But how do I do that for me? Is there any little like things that you think? Oh, for sure. The one that's been most, uh, like the biggest accelerant for growth for me has been the conscientiousness of who I am surrounding myself with and what I am allowing uh, my brain, my eyes, my, uh, myself to consume. So uh, you are the five people you surround yourself with. Say it all the time. And I tell everyone who will listen that it is a fact. Uh, you may surround yourself all day with toddlers, which <laughs> I send you vodka and my best wishes, but um, who you surround yourself with is the first and best way to think differently about who you can be and how you can get there. So if you are the smartest person in your circle of five friends, you need a new circle. If you are the most ambitious person in your circle of five friends, you need a new circle. If you are the most, go ahead and fill in the blank, you need, a new, you need a new circle. It doesn't mean that you have to completely jettison the people who aren't that way, but if you're interested in being in better shape 
and you're hanging out with five people who are not that worried about what they eat or how often they make it to the gym, you will not be pulled up to the next level when it comes to your health. The same is true if you're interested in understanding email funnels better. I don't know that you are, but (laughs) I was in a position of wanting to understand email funnels better because I don't know anything. And I look around to see who I'm in rooms with and I realized I didn't have anybody who could actually make me smarter about email funnels. So I found people who could. Now, Mm -hmm. people always say, how do you do that? Do you just like go to a friend's registry and type in what you're looking for and then you become (laughs) new friends? No. I mean, I guess you can online date if you'd like, but the, (laughs) the the real answer in the shorter term is if you are in community with people that you think you could spend more time with who have skills that will make you better, great. Hang out with them more and hang out with people who are going to pull you down less. Mediocre people will always pull achievers back to mediocre. Remember this, back to mediocre. They are threatened by your ambition. So don't let your mediocre friends talk you out of wanting to be the better version of yourself. Uh, But if you don't have those people in your community, some of the greatest mentors in my life, certainly the greatest mentors in Rachel's life, have been our mentors without us knowing them. They exist in podcasts, they exist in books, they exist in libraries, and they are available for free. Rachel says this all the time. I, she says so many things that I steal that I think <laughs> I'm going to get copyright infringement. You know, <laughs> from your wife. <laughs> from my wife. But every single thing that you could want to learn today exists for free on the internet. And that being the case, your ignorance on any topic is a choice. Yep. It's a choice. So surround yourself with better people. Even if those people are virtual, even if those people are people that you don't know, surround yourself with better people. That's, that's one thing. Um, I love that. And I just want to insert there that even though we just met, my boyfriend and I listened to your Rise Together podcast and you and Rachel are mentors to us in terms of the type of marriage foundation that we want to have. So thank you for being oh, so nice. honest. Thank you. Um, and so we surround ourselves with you guys every Thursday. <laughs> right on. I love to hear that. Thank you yeah, for that. Absolutely. That's the hope, by the way. I mean, it's, it's a thing for us as well. Um, we are always reaching for and looking for recommendations for like who else maybe can provoke us thinking differently about this, that, or the other thing. Absolutely. The so, other thing. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I will gladly take a question or I will say the other thing. No, say the other thing. Keep going. So, The other thing is I had to do a lot of work in this transition to understand why I was wired the way that I was. And so I spent time diving into mindset and I discovered that for most of my life, I had a fixed mindset and not a growth mindset. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I would really recommend a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. Um, the difference between a person who has a fixed mindset, they think that their skills are innate, that they cannot grow from where they were basically born, or someone with a growth mindset who believes that they can through experiences or through reading or listening or whatever, um, become a more evolved version of themselves every single day. Your mindset will determine whether you can go further in your pursuit of whatever you're trying to chase or not. That's one. 
Two, I had to really dive into my limiting beliefs. These like, again, lies, maybe for lack of a better word, that I believed that kept me from pursuing the things that were going to make me a more fulfilled, more grown up, more awesome version of myself. If you don't know the lies that you believe, how will you debunk them and get out of your own way? I had to make a list. Here are the things that I, over my lifetime, have believed that are crap. And then I had to diagnose, why did I believe these things? And once I could get under the hood of why I believed what I did, I was able to start finding ways around them. Or when they would pop up in my subconscious, I could catch them consciously and say, wait a second, I know that's just a lie. I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to instead believe this truth that I know to be actually real. And then the last thing is just thinking a little bit of how I've been motivated, the idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, right? I had for a long time been someone who was very driven by grades, very driven by performance reviews, very driven by words of affirmation from my spouse, like things that externally could give me a reward for having done something well. And those kind of people, like if you're a person who's extrinsically motivated, doesn't mean that you're broken, but you are going to ultimately run into a time where that bell doesn't ring and you get to then wait until it does to be motivated to do the next thing, unless you're able to pivot into an intrinsically motivated way of being, which is you're able to motivate yourself to reach for a better version of you because it's just a fire that burns inside of you and and your ability to tap into it and not be dependent on someone else telling you that you are good for having done this thing um, will be, again, the difference between staying motivated when you need motivation and having to wait until someone else comes along. Now, I think, and this, I don't want to say something that's loaded knowing that our audience here is primarily female, but there are, my experience has been that there are times where men are a little less worried about waiting for permission or waiting for mm-hmm. um, the, you know, like suggestion that it's okay to apply for a job that they may not be totally qualified for or okay to have ambition or hustle, whereas women have historically been a little more like, if I satisfy every requirement of what's on this job description, then I'll apply for it. Or um, I want to make sure that I don't inconvenience this person by having this ambition. And so some of the dynamics in gender, I think, also go back into a little bit of the intrinsic, extrinsic motivation conversation that if you can become really comfortable that God's created you to do these things and you can go do them without apology or the necessity of getting approval or permission from anyone, including men in power, your family, your circle of friends, society, the patriarchy, whatever it might be, then you get to go do all of them and fulfill the potential that is in your heart. And girl, you can stop apologizing. Well, that's darn right. Come on. <laughs> awesome. So from that, I want to. I know that you guys on the Rise Together podcast have done episodes around this and you've talked about this, but to kind of tie up maybe a short little package of this from a female listening who is ambitious and, you know, maybe feels as if their significant other isn't on board as much. Can you give from a male's perspective, what some things that, that she could do 
to, you know, it, we'll use the example of, you know, being married or in a relationship with a male from your perspective. How could she help get that person on board? Well, we, to a vision, we, or well. I know you guys have talked a lot about this, and I'm going to link this particular episode <laughs> in the show notes. But is there anything that you think was helpful that Rachel did to give this kind of this question a different context to well, help I, you get on board? I, I guess I would I would say two things. Uh, you know, Rachel, like Rachel, decided to really invest in personal development out of a need to overcome some stuff that she was processing in the anxiety space and some postpartum. I mean, like she was going through things. And so she went on a search for some solutions that in finding answers made her ask even bigger questions about how development could continue to make her a better version of herself. As she started doing that, I was inconvenienced by it. I was not a huge fan of this on-fire version of my wife who was getting up at five in the morning Mm -hmm. when I was still in the midst of my funk. And she made a decision that her pursuit of a better version of herself was for her and not for me. And to her credit, even though I moaned and groaned about her getting up earlier, she kept doing it because she didn't need my permission to become a better version of herself. Yes. In having made the decision to focus on her first, you want to change someone else, change yourself. She changed herself and it was like dropping breadcrumbs for me in the midst of a crisis of my own what am I here? I was having this, like I said, existential midlife. I'm turning 40. What am I here for? I don't have to use my potential. I still get straight A grades. She's reaching for a better version of herself. And my witness of her unapologetically wanting to go and reach for more had me asking better questions myself about how I might also be able to drink a little bit of the Kool-Aid that she was Mm -hmm. drinking. And in having done that, I discovered that there was a lot in this. So, um, so that, that's right. So that's that's one. Um, I think there was another, but that feels like a good place to. Yeah, stop. that's no, that's great and so helpful. So I want to be respectful of your time, and I could talk to you literally all day long. But before we move into the last two questions, can you talk to us? really quickly about what's going on with the Hollis company and where to find you. You guys sold out of your female like rise conference event in 27 minutes. Bananas. I don't even, I still, I still can't totally get my head wrapped around it. So here's the thing. We have a company. It's called the Hollis company. Uh, My wife, if you're not familiar, her name is Rachel Hollis, Ms. Rachel Hollis on Instagram. My, My name's Dave Hollis, Mr. Dave Hollis on Instagram. You can follow us. You can follow the Hollis company, but we, are on earth as a company to put tools in the hands of people that will afford them the opportunity to take control of their lives and make lasting life change. And we do that through books. Rachel's next book, as we've talked about, is Girl Stop Apologizing, comes out in March of next year. She's got another book coming out not terribly long after that in 2020 about health. I've got uh, a book that I'm working on that's going to be for men. Uh, about the same kind of things that Girl Wash Your Face was about. We have two podcasts. The Rise podcast comes out on Tuesdays. It is a podcast for women in business 
where she is trying to put tactical, practical tools in the hands of other female business people uh, with great guests uh, on an every single week basis. And then on Thursdays, we have a Rise Together podcast that is us talking relationships. And it spans the gamut. Sometimes uh, every once in a while we'll have a guest, but for the most part, it's us talking through the things that people traditionally aren't honestly talking about for what it takes to have an exceptional relationship. We have these live events, as you mentioned, Rise, unbelievably, in Minneapolis, Minnesota here in June, sold out in 27 minutes. We've added another date in July, July 18th, 19th, and 20th. We're going to get details to everyone here shortly, but we're going to have a handful of live events for people to uh, really pull themselves away from their everyday and be immersed with people that are like-mindedly looking to have, um, you know, an opportunity to pour into themselves so they can go back to their regular life uh, and have some tools that to, to, you know, take it from where it is to where they want it to go. And then we're working in uh, inside of the apparel space, the, the merchandise space. Rachel is launching Align with QVC in April of next year, which is very exciting. So we're, exciting. We're making products now uh, in the journal space. We have a journal called, called the Start Today Journal, where every three months there's going to be three new covers that come out in a limited fashion that we're very excited about, as I said. And, um, and there's a whole host of things. We've got a movie that we made that comes back into theaters in January and January 2nd and January 9th called Made for More. So you got to go see that. There's a, we're, we're working on all the darn things. All the things. And you guys are impacting a ton of people. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Right on. So let's move into the last two questions. One is kind of random and the other one will really like tie this all up in a bow. The random one is if you're feeling funky, like in a funk, do you have any tips tricks or a go-to song. We definitely have to hear the song. So a tip or trick and a go-to song to pump you up. Uh, so if I feel a funk a coming on, I <laughs> will almost, I mean, like against wanting to, I find myself walking into the master bedroom closet and grabbing my running shoes and going on a run because I always feel good after a run. I, for the most part, feel not as excited about the beginning of a run, but because I know how I feel at the end of it, if I'm like, just like I'm being triggered by something, we're super crazy about habits and understanding mm -hmm. triggers and, you know, replacing um, any, it doesn't matter. If you feel well, a trigger. Insert a plug real quick for the last 90 days, which is a completely free program that everyone can opt into. I'll link that in the show notes, but sorry, continue. Oh yeah. Um, anyway, I like to go on a run and on the run, uh, I tend to listen to something that gets me mindset wise in a like, let's go conquer the world kind of mode. So um, there's a few different playlists. Music, music is a great way to, in just a couple of seconds, snap you from where you were to what you'd like to be. When we're getting ready to do our live streams in the morning, we do our live streams every morning, by the way, on Ms. Rachel Hollis's Instagram handle or on Rachel Hollis on Facebook. Um, there are some mornings, to be honest, that we're not as excited about being uh, up for a th you know, 30 to 40 minute conversation. And we'll turn on music and jump around like idiots in our <laughs> office. And it gets us, it gets our heart right. It gets us ready to go. So music is a great one. I don't know that I have like a specific go-to song. If you I'm had to have a song on a playlist for this podcast... 
that represented Dave Hollis. No pressure. Oh, man. It, I mean, like, unfortunately, most of my pump up songs are like lyrics, uh, like parental guidance requirement. Uh, like, I don't even want to say, like Ape Shit by Beyonce or the Carters right now is actually the song that is like the let's go. Yes. But, um, I don't, you know, I don't know if the kids are listening, so I don't know if we can say that one. We, we can say that. It's okay. We'll, we'll mute right. it for the kids. There okay. <laughs> and the final question to kind of tie this all up is this podcast is predominantly women in their 20s and 30s that are listening to this. And um, if it's all about empowering them to take action, right? Not to just be inspired. So what last, you know, piece of advice, it doesn't have to be the golden thing, um, but one last piece of advice that will inspire someone, in particular a woman in that demographic, to take action to build a life that they love, would you like to leave with them? All right. This is like how much of a, a hometown crowd audience I am for this company and my wife. But I am going to end with my favorite quote from Girl Stop Apologizing, which uh, is not yet out, but I think is representative of what you're going to get with this book. Whatever the dream is, it's yours, not mine. You don't have to give any justification because as long as you're not asking anyone to give you approval, then you don't need anyone to give you permission. In fact, when you understand that you don't have to justify your dreams to anyone else for any reason, that is the day you truly began to step into who you were meant to be. Oh, thank you so much, Dave Hollis, for being here with us today, for being the first guy on this podcast and adding so much value. I appreciate you so much. And for what you and Rachel do and the way that you guys show up in the world, we're so, so grateful. So thank you again. Right on, Kish. So, so, so happy to have been here. Thank you so much. And we'll see y'all online. Sounds perfect. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you share it with your girlfriends or better yet, post it on Instagram stories and tag me. Then I can personally say thank you for helping me get this message out there. And if you didn't vibe with it, just keep that to yourself. I'm kind of new here, still trying to figure it all out. Talk to you soon, girl.